The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. Last weekend, if you were here, if you weren't here, we talked about this little part of Acts 6. And we've kind of been studying Acts a little bit, Acts 2. And this is early church and the beauty of the early church and the simplicity of it and the movement of it and the breaking bread in homes and caring for orphans and widows and, and gathering in temples, courts, and prayer. And this is a very organic, kind of beautiful essence to it in its formation as as God, as Christ, is, is building, as he's cultivating, as he's curating this new movement that we're part of today, uh, there's a lot that we love and there's a lot of beautiful things about it that us as a community, we're leaning into how do we adopt that in our own lives, in our own rhythms. But we found out in chapter 6, it, it, it's not all fun and games. And uh, just quickly, we, we kind of talked about this, this little interruption in the, in the story of the good of the church that... It ended up being a pretty good threat to the early church. And it wasn't the Roman Empire, and it wasn't persecution, but it was a division within the church itself. And the situation was, uh, there's all these Jewish people in Jerusalem, and there's the local Jewish people, and then there's these Jewish people who came from the outskirts, the Hellenistic Jews. They had a different culture, and the localized Jews from Jerusalem looked down upon these other Hellenistic Jews. And what was happening was, was as they cared for widows, as they cared for one another, the Hellenistic group was being overlooked. They were, they were, they were not being cared for, the Hellenistic widows. And, and this sort of caused a, a tension, and it caused grumbling, and it caused gossip, and it caused this risk of, of really kind of tearing the whole thing apart because even within the church there was this classism happening, and people were like, ah, we'll pass on those people. They're not like us or too far on the outside. And, I, and I did, there's something that sort of just struck me continuing this week that I just kind of want to lean into a little more what it feels like to be on that outside group, to be kind of overlooked, whether you're in the church or at work or in life, in, in your own families, in your friend circles, wherever that is, just to kind of feel like you're not quite part of, uh, of the cool group, of part of the clique that, that where things are happening. And that can be very painful, and there could be a lot of shame in that. And the Jewish people who are coming in, you can throw that map up actually, Alex, a couple slides down maybe. We had these, these, these the, the empire, the, the Roman Empire was all these places, and before that was the Greek Empire, and they were, they were basically what was called the Hellenism was happening. And, and there's these Jewish people who had been dispersed, and they're all over these cities, all over the place. And, and they weren't at home base in, in Jerusalem, which is kind of in the, in the corner of the screen. And when they came into Jerusalem, the people around the temple kind of, just kind of shunned them. They were kind of less than. They didn't practice the same way. They picked up some other culture. They ate different things. They wore different things. They talked differently. And so this, this cliquish group in Jerusalem uh, always kind of gave them a little bit of a cold shoulder, even though they were supposedly part of the family. And I think sometimes we can find, even in our own religious circles, say the church can sometimes be one of the biggest perpetrators of, of causing you to feel shame for who you are. And early on in this really mostly a beautiful picture in Acts, we're catching a little bit of this, of the church really shaming its own family for being a little bit different and how kind of painful that feels. I was just thinking about that idea of, of exclusion, how bad exclusion can hurt. And I come back to it, I, I don't know who it is today. There was just something in my heart that said, we gotta, let's continue on this a little bit more. Let's press into this a little more. Because exclusion can hurt, and I think there's a slide for this, because it informs us that we're not good enough. And if you've ever felt excluded, if you've ever felt left out, basically the subcontext of that, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be here. And for those widows of that time who are not being served at the table, it was basically informing that you're not good enough to be served, not good enough to be cared for, you're not good enough to really be part of us. And whatever the exclusion is in your, in your life, maybe it's present, maybe it's an old wound, and those are things that Jesus wants to get a hold of and heal in you. 
He does not want us to feel shame. The gospel is so much about inclusion and healing those things. And he's telling us that Jews has carried a little bit of shame because they didn't quite make the cut. They didn't quite, say, make the team. When I was growing up, I, I love basketball. I still love basketball today. I don't play as much, but I love basketball. Uh, from as early as age as I can remember, had a hoop in, in our front yard, and my, my dad played, and my dad played college basketball. And uh, even later on in life, he actually went back to school and played again, and he was just kind of that guy. We always, we always had, had games in our front yard, two-on-two, three-on-three. All our friends played, uh, you know, second, third grade, fourth and fifth, whatever, fifth and sixth grade, and played basketball. When I got to junior high, um, of course, I was like, oh, I want to play, going to continue to play basketball, and I'll eventually, you know, at that stage of my life, you know, I'll play high school basketball and college basketball, and then I'll play in the NBA. Like, that was just the dream that, you know, people had in, in, in my sort of mindset. Um, but I go out for the seventh grade team, and I was super excited about it, and uh, it's like three days of tryouts. This is Southern Regional Middle School in, in New Jersey, and uh, going out for the seventh grade team and like working hard three days, and there was a lot of kids. So I grew up in a small town, but at a regional middle school and high school, so, you know, five, six hundred kids in a class, and, and more by the time I got to high school, all these kids are playing, and, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good about it, and my, my best friend and I were like, you know, kind of doing it together. We had grown up playing little gym rats playing, you know, in, in the younger leagues, and, and we went out for this, this team. We're super excited. And so after three days of tryouts, they, they just posted, if you've ever been part of this in sports, they just post the roster outside the gym or outside the coach's office or wherever. And this was outside the gym, and on sort of like the Friday afternoon, like the posting goes up, who makes the team? And I get up there, and it's a super exciting part of the day, right? Like, you know, who, I'm kind of like, who's, who else is going to be on the team? Who's going to make the team? And you get up there, and these, you know, people are, you know, fighting their way forward and high fives and good things. My friend, my, my best friend comes out. He's super pumped. And, and I finally get up there. I'm kind of looking where I'm at on there. And I'm like, oh, I don't see it. Like, scan again. Like, it's, it's just got to be on there. Like, wait, a, you know. And this sort of depression just starts to sink in, not seeing your name on the list. And there's all these other people whose names are on the list. And I didn't notice other people who didn't make the team. All I saw was people who made the team. And especially my best friend who made the team. And it was, a, it was a sad day that I, I, I could still remember a little bit about being kind of, oh, shoot, I'm left out of this thing that I actually care about and want to be part of and my friends are part of. And the ensuing days, it, it continued to sort of be, be a bummer. It was, it was a difficult time. My, my friend had on his cover of his, like, his trapper keeper folder thing, whatever that was, like in big Sharpie letters, it said, I made the team, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And, like, I just saw that every day. He's like carrying around his celebration, and I'm like, I didn't make the team. Like, I'm not part of the team. I'm, I'm not part of this story now. I'm not part of this fun. I'm not part of this, this, this narrative. I, I don't even have a story now. I'm a loser. I have nothing. You know, my life is over. And and, and it was hard. I remember on game days, the, the team, they dressed up at, at where I went to school. They wore, everyone wore a tie on game day. And, you know, it was, like, very obvious, like, I didn't make the team. And uh, they wore their basketball hoodies every other day. And it really just feels like it, it didn't even matter. Other people weren't on the team. All I can think of is everyone else was, right? And sometimes we're in that place. It just feels like everyone else is on it. Everyone else has it. And when you're coming in from the outer rim of the Middle East and you're coming to Jerusalem, and just, you just kind of feel like, oh my gosh, everyone else gets to live in this city. Everyone else has this relationship. Everyone else has, these, has this temple. And there was this outer layer of, of the Hellenistic Jews who just didn't have that. And that can be hard. And I get it in sports. Not everyone can make the team. You know, I'm, I'm over it. I eventually did make the team. But those things are, those are hard. Those are hard realities of life, just feeling like you're left out. And for some of us today, uh, particularly like if you think of some of us who live on social media more, you're, it's this big comparison game of where everyone else is at in life. And am I keeping up with that thing? 
And that can be difficult. Or maybe it's you know, you know, cars and houses and all these things that you're just trying to keep up with. Or people are hanging out like, how come I'm not hanging out with them? What's wrong with me? Because you're excluded from something, right? It breeds this hurt that you're not, you're not good enough. And the Father heart of God, he wants us to be comfortable in our own skin and know we're loved first by him, and that's the most important thing. And that's hard because we also we need people as well. And the kind of duck, ducks over there behind Alex, if you were here, you, you heard Anna's story about that. But she's painted this last week on, on a whim and a prompting, just, just this ugly duckling comparison that, man, we're all beautiful. There is no ugly ducklings. And, and, and God's heart for you and I is that we realize that. Like that's, our, that's the primary way we should identify ourselves as being loved by God. Not how much we have or what we do or who we're with, but that God loves us. And that, takes, that can take a while. I, uh, I love this story in Luke 8, and we'll read it today and kind of, kind of move through a little bit and have some communion at the end. But uh, it's in Luke 8, and it's uh, Luke 8, 40. I'll pick up from there, and if you have a Bible, you can pull it up, or the app, I, th- I think it's on there as well. If not, you can feel free to just listen. And, uh, Jesus is doing ministry. He's out around uh, town, in and out of Galilee, and he's traveling, and, and, he's, and he's starting to pick up a, a crowd. He's, he's this kind of reluctant celebrity at this point. Jesus did not really want all these people around him all the time, but they're following him. It says, verse 40, when Jesus returned, uh, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. So this, this synagogue leader, this high-up official, finds Jesus and says, please come, please come. So Jesus is like, okay, I'll come, I'll come. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him because he's just amassing these, these, these people of, uh, uh, I want to see what he can do, and maybe they want something from him, or maybe they just want to watch him, or he's just got this celebrity status starting to, starting to roll. The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Like, all the people. What, what do you mean, who touched you? There's a thousand people leaning up against everybody. Everybody's touching somebody. Like, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? He said, someone touched me. I know the power is gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So there's this woman, and she has this, this bleeding disorder, which is a, which is a very uh, painful and uncomfortable kind of syndrome. And, and in this culture, we'll kind of go through some of this quickly. In this culture, this would have made her unclean. You could not just be bleeding and have blood on you and be, be allowed to be out in public with other people. So this was something you had, to, you had to remove yourself from other people, remove yourself from communities, remove yourself from interaction because of this sickness about you, this mark of shame. And this, this bleeding would have made her just feel kind of icky all the time. She's just you know, low on iron, and she's just depressed, and, and it's just difficult. And it says she spent everything she had to try to fix it. She wasn't like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to live with it. Like, she just gave her life to, to whatever she can muster up, whatever physician she can find up, whatever money she can scrape together. She's like, please, I have to, I have to fix this. I cannot live this way. For 12 years, it says, for 12 years, she's, she's just running this illness, this bleeding that's just keeping her from people, and it's keeping her from temple time and, and worship and, it's, and, 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 and love and interaction and, and human touch. And she, she see, hears about this Jesus figure who's been going through the land, and he's done something. And, she, and you can imagine this crowd. So the crowds are crushing in around Jesus. There's, there's all these people. And, and she somehow fights 
to the center of the crowd or the front of the crowd, wherever she had to get to, just to reach out. And, and she's like, I, I, I just hope. I, I don't even know what will happen, but if I can just get to him, maybe if I could just touch him in some way, something can happen. Because I've tried everything else, and I can't live like this anymore. And I don't know if you've ever been there or felt like that. Like, you're just at the end. Like, I, I can't live this way anymore. I can't live this way anymore. It just, it's, it just hurts too bad. The shame is just is too great. But she has hope, and, and what I want to just touch on is this idea of hurting with hope still hurts. Hurting with hope still hurts. So if you're hurting, and, and if you're in the context of faith, it's pretty easy. Well, don't worry, God's got it. Jesus has got that. I just got to have hope and faith. Like, those are good things, but it can still hurt while you have those things. It can still hurt following Jesus. You're, you can still have pain and love God. Those are not exclusive things as, as we're in our makeup of human. But sometimes in the church, we kind of separate those things. Like, oh, if you're feeling down and hurting and depressed and feeling shame, like, you, you, don't, you don't even have Jesus. Like, no, you can be hope, hopeful and leaning into Jesus, but, but still hurting. And that's okay. If you're hurting, we don't want to stay there. If you're hurting about something, it's okay. It's okay. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. A woman who's hoping for something better for 12 years, but she kept acting she kept acting, acting out to try to heal, get this thing healed to, with doctors. She finally finds Jesus. She's hoping it, it still hurts. There's still shame. It's still difficult. And Jesus sees her. Right, first, he feels this, this kind of energy come out of him. And this is kind of you know, interesting. Only Jesus would know what this feels like. And somebody touched. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who, who reached out to me? She, she, yes, he touched his cloak, her bleeding stopped, and, and he looks around. So Jesus, he kind of turns around this crowd. There's all these people. He stops. Remember, he's on his way to do something else. He's on his way to see the synagogue official's daughter. So he has things going on. He stops. Who touched me? You know, again, Peter's like, everyone touched you, Jesus. Let's get going. Who touched me? He looks around. He pans, he pans the audience. Who touched me? Who's reaching out to me right now? Who's reaching out to me? It's like, I know, I know something's happened. And this woman, she said, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Like she's seeing him pan across the crowd, and Jesus is like looking for you. Sometimes Jesus wants you to just like, he sees you, like just put your hand up. He knows you're there. Jesus is looking across the crowd, who touched me? And the woman sees him looking, and she knows, my guess is Jesus knows. And he's looking back and forth, who did this? And he can just heard this moment to know that he's looking out for her. God is looking out for you. He's looking for you. <laughs> he sees that you're hurting. He sees that you're reaching out. I, I love that about Jesus, his compassion. And she said, man, I, I just can't go unnoticed anymore. And she comes forward and, and falls at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, how she'd been instantly healed. And so she, she goes through this confession. She said, man, this is where I was living. This is what I was like for so long. This is why I was excluded from culture and friends and society and temple now I've been healed. And Jesus looks at her. Jesus looks at this, this woman who's been healed instantly from this, from this touch. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And, and daughter in this, in this sentence, Jesus ne- never uses this word daughter any other place. And it's a term of, of absolute endearment and love and compassion and care. It's a father heart. It's his daughter. Like, that's... And that's what she almost needed to hear more than even anything else. Like, daughter, you're loved, you're welcome, you're family, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to protect you. 
Some of us need to hear about that from God. Our guys group has been talking about that as husbands and, and, and father and figures and men. Like, you've got to be protectors. There's a father heart of protection. Like, God's going to protect you. Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. All that was wrong with your life, now go in peace. It's, it's been fixed. It's been, it's been settled. It's been settled. And this woman who carried around all this shame for so long, day after day, just feeling like, I can't get better. Year after year, carrying this thing, doing everything she, she thought she can do. She thought she can get better, but she just gets getting worse. Right? Removed from people, isolated from community, living in hiding, feeling far from God. She said, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Thank you for reaching out. I see you. I see you reaching out. And Jesus, in, in his compassion, I, I, the thing I, I, I feel the the heartbreak of Jesus is, is when people carry this shame, and they, when people carry a shame that keeps them from other people and keeps them from God. And when Jesus came, I, I, he's like, I, we cannot have this anymore. We cannot have this shame thing here anymore. Grace, is, grace will, will, will cover your, your sin. Grace is freedom from sin, but it's also from shame. And so some of us, we accept that grace, like, yeah, I get it. I've been, I, I've, been, I've been freed of my sins, you know, by the blood of Jesus, and there's this grace, but you still carry some kind of shame for something. And maybe it's your body. You know, maybe it's something you did in the past. Maybe that's something that's, that's maybe coming your way or you're, you're part of. You know, maybe it's your finances, your relationship or lack of relationship or your kids. You just carry some kind of shame. Jesus is like, man, we have got to get rid of that. Grace is freedom from that. Grace is freedom from that. You're loved as, as, as you are, not just as you will be. I was up at that uh, retreat a couple weeks ago in, in Nacimento with a bunch of guys, and uh, we're hanging out, and, and we're, and we're um, you know, boats and campfires and worship and teaching, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you're kind of all together, sometimes you're just hanging out, maybe talking one-on-one with somebody. And I get a note from my wife while I'm up there, um, and uh, it just says, I found your journal from when we were dating. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I found your journal and, and all of a sudden like in my mind I'm like what is in that journal like I knew I journaled a lot I'm, I'm like I don't know what journal it is or where it is but I'm sure I have one I'm like what is in that thing that I'm going to have to explain later you know and uh, I'm just kind of going through it I'm like don't read it she says I'm going to read it I'm like ah and I'm just like I'm you know three hours away I told Luke he's not here now I'm like I was talking to him because he saw me get the, get the text and I'm kind of like I just go white and I'm like, hey, man, if I'm gone in a little bit, my truck's gone, just tell everybody I had to go home because I, I have to deal with this thing. Like, it's just, there's this exposure in, in, in journaling. And she started sending some things that she's reading. And like, oh, I never knew this about you. And I'm like, oh, I'm, could you imagine? Like, I'm not even in the room to kind of deal with it. And I don't even know what it says. And I was 19 years old. Like, I'm just like, I'm in a major panic about having my, my life just like poured out. And she's, you know, sitting there with coffee, like reading this thing. And all day long, I'm like, you know, she sent something, like, okay, like, I got through that, but, like, I don't know what the next page has on it. Like, I have no, I just have no idea. I'm thinking back to my life, like, man, is there anything I did that I just confessed now? Like, I just couldn't even think of anything. But there's this, but, I mean, the first thing that came, the gut reaction was, like, I'm ashamed of it. I don't know what's in it, but I'm ashamed. Let me just, let me just assume I'm ashamed of whatever I thought or said as a 19-year-old me. Like, I'm embarrassed. Like, it was just, you know, reading my mail. Like, people have diaries and journals because it's, really an outlet for yourself, not for other people to read, right? And, and it's, like, that's the point of those things. 
But when we, well, when we process that stuff, if you journal or have, there is something kind of liberating, but, but almost, if, if you're like me, sometimes I almost feel a little scared even writing out my own thoughts to myself. Like, okay, I'm just going to get this out there. Like, is anyone looking, you know? Is anyone going to find this, you know, 20 years from now? And, and, and it's, but if there's a confession, there's just a power and freedom in that confession, even to yourself, especially to our Father and, and then to one another. And so this woman, there was this healing process in her when she touched the gar- garment and she received that and she could have left and I, I think she probably would have st- still be healed but Jesus led her into this process like let's let's just restore you wholly in front of everybody it's not just about you feeling better it's like let's get this shame out that you've been carrying let's talk about this right, let's release all this stuff the emotional baggage of of carrying this for so long and then he said, hey, daughter, go in peace. Like, go in peace. You don't, have to, you don't have to live in hiding anymore. You don't have to live in hiding anymore. And I, and I don't want to lead us into a, a, a big confession right now, right? But, but I think there's something to that for one another. As we gather around tables and before and after services and in homes and at groups, to let this stuff out that you carry this shame for. Let it out. Let, let that ache out. Jesus wants to heal that. He wants to know, son, I love you. Go in peace. You're good. Daughter, I love you. Go in peace. Let that out. Let that out. Let that stuff out. Because shame is, 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 is such an ugly, unfortunate emotion that we, we carry. And about so many different things. About things that somebody did to us. About things that we can't control. About ways that we look or circumstances she says, daughter, love you, love you. So we're going to have, I'm going to have uh, Noah and Josh come up and uh, close out the song. And, um, we have communion stuff in the back, and I think we have, we have some art stuff happening in the back. And I love Anna because I, I was like, what are we going to do? And she's like, I'm not sure yet, but I think we have something now. And God, thank you for your story, for your grace, for your majesty for your compassion that you're a god who's not too busy you're a god that will stop and turn around and look and say i see you i see you i see you out there hurting i see you broken i see your shame look at me i want to help you i see you i want you to know god sees you today jesus sees you with the same loving eyes and hands that he saw this woman and said daughter daughter faith has healed you go in peace and so this this moment we're gonna we're gonna pray that lord i just pray whatever those strongholds are, those areas of shame and uh, affliction. Pray healing over that today in Jesus' name. You would break those strongholds, Lord, by the power of your spirit. We love you. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. That website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.